Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer. And I'm so happy you're here. Today, I'm super excited to speak with Gordon Firemark, also known as the podcast lawyer, about, well, podcasting for lawyers. Gordon's a media, entertainment, and business lawyer, podcaster, author, and creator of an online podcasting training course designed specifically for lawyers. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Gordon. Hi, Shelley. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, thanks so much for being here. How about getting us started by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit more about how you became interested in podcasting? Well, okay. So you said, as you, as you mentioned, I have been practicing entertainment, media, and business law since I started practicing in 1992. So that's 30 years this year. My goodness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, I, but before I went to law school, I, I was a, an undergraduate radio, television, and film production major. So I had that interest. I had worked in live theater as a sound technician. So I had that interest. I'm a big fat geek. So I love computers and technology and those kinds of things. So when this new technology, this, this new medium podcasting came about in the, uh, you know, the early to mid aughts, 2004, 2005 is when podcasting started to really become a thing. Uh, and um, I discovered it because a fellow that I watched on uh, on tech TV sort of started podcasting. This is a guy named Leo Laporte, who is a, a one of the elder statesmen in the podcasting community now. And he created a show uh, called This Week in Tech. And then he, he also had one called This Week in Law. And, and a, you know, he's created a whole network around the This Week in uh, thing. But at the time, he was doing this thing podcasting. And then the, the television network he was on changed its formats and no longer did the tech stuff. And so this became his outlet. And I was following what he was doing and paying attention. I thought, that's really, really cool and interesting. And I knew most of how to make that kind of stuff happen. Uh, because of my experience in sound and technology and those kinds of things. But I didn't actually get into podcasting myself until I was asked as a guest uh, to join a show about video, uh, a show for videographers. And the host of that show was getting lots of questions that implicated copyrights and trademarks and legal issues of various sorts. So he reached out to me and asked me, would I come on as a guest and answer those questions? So I did. And that happened a few more times. And then he approached me about, let's just do a regular show every other week on the subject of of law and video. And that was the name of the show, the Law and Video Podcast. And so he was the host and he would throw me the questions and I would do my thing as a lawyer and answer the questions again in a very generic, broad way, you know, not specific to a particular uh, client's situation. And uh, that was great. We did that for a year and a half or so before he changed jobs and wasn't able to do it anymore because I guess they didn't want him moonlighting. But I was hooked by that point. So I said, I got to try to do this myself. And I sought out some uh, understanding from other podcasters about how it works and what to do to get it set up. And I did it. And I launched my own show in 2009 with a co-host. And we have been doing our episodes now. We're on 100, well, it's a monthly show. So we do a, a roundup of legal entertainment law news once a month for the last 13 years coming up in April. So we're on episode 142 or three next week. I think we're recording. 
um, which is low in the pod. You know, most podcasters are doing things weekly or more often than that, but with a monthly show, going on 13 years doing it. So, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And is that something that you are able to do along with your legal practice? Is it, does it take you a lot of time to prepare episodes and that kinds of thing? Well, you know, it can be very time consuming. In fact, that's one of the biggest objections that I hear other lawyers and professionals in all fields uh, expressing about using podcasting as a tool to promote and market and, and those kinds of things. But in fact, I think it's actually really well leveraged time spent on these kinds of things. And the way we do our show is uh, live to drive, as we call it. So we, we start the recording and we don't stop. We don't edit. We don't assemble things from lots of different places. We once that recording is going, it's a freight train charging down the tracks. So the 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 work really is on the prep side of things, and I have a team of of volunteer contributors and interns and fellow attorneys that that help us assemble the stories and the summaries that we work from when we do our rundown. So we're able to do it with you know a, a few hours a week of of investment of time really. And, that's one meeting a week that we do on Sunday evenings, actually, so it doesn't interfere with the law practice. And then uh, our prep time and, and recording time is one morning a month, basically. So it's not too, not too time-consuming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I take it you've continued for 13 years because you enjoy it, but also I imagine there are some benefits to your legal practice as well. It's been a real boon to my legal practice. As you know, as most lawyers know, marketing a law practice is nowadays a function of creating various kinds of content and being visible in the marketplace for folks who have the legal needs that you serve. Uh, most lawyers are doing blogging. Some are doing YouTube videos. Some are doing podcasts. Some are doing, you know, holding seminars and webinars and those kinds of things. And I think podcasting is among those nearly the easiest because it's really just you know, make an outline and start talking into a microphone and then upload that to a server and people can get it. And it's great because you can leverage that and have a transcript made and that then becomes a blog post that can attract search engine traffic and those kinds of things. So it's been great. When when we started the show, I have to admit there was a little bit of a miscalculation on my part. We, we created the show as a continuing legal education program and we were going to get licensed to or you know approved to provide credit in all the various different states where we had listeners that turned out to become a giant pain in the you know what and uh the the revenue we could generate from that just wasn't going to justify the expenditure of time and energy so we've sort of just pushed that aside and we use the show as a positioning tool it Mm -hmm. demonstrates our expertise our understanding of these issues and honestly it makes us better lawyers because we're staying on top of what's going on in our field Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I imagine, too, that it kind of uh, elevates your authority. Here you are speaking about a particular topic as yeah. uh, as experts in the field. So what are some of the, if you can, sort of see some of the direct connections between your podcast and changes in your legal practice or in clients or referrals? Well, it certainly has generated referrals. I think not a not a month goes by where I don't get a call from somebody, some often a fellow attorney who's listened to the show says, Hey, I've got this situation. It's not really in my wheelhouse. Is it something you can do? Yeah, because I'm you know pretty clear about the kinds of work that I actually do in my practice. And my co-host I know has the same experience. Clients, when they are referred to us, often go to the website and look around. You know, they poke around. They're doing a little due diligence. And when they can see that we're creating this stuff every month and and they can listen and hear the 
this, I hope the, the smile in my voice and those kinds of things. It helps to build that affinity that makes it just a little bit of an easier transaction to get them to commit to hire me as their lawyer. So, you know, I, when I started the show, my revenues were already on the upswing, but, but it, it really has been just a, a great way to market and promote the practice, build my expertise and become recognized within the entertainment law community as a, uh, as a player. Yeah. And it sounds like for you that it's fun as well. Oh, I love, yeah. I mean, I guess I love the sound of my own voice, <laughs> but uh, playing with the technology is fun. I, I've, I've developed systems, so it's very streamlined now and I don't have a lot of time spent on that. But yeah, I get to be a little internet famous this way, and that's fun too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for someone like a lawyer who maybe is on the fence, they've heard that, you know, heard all the things that you have said, that all the reasons why it might be a good idea to start a podcast. What would you say to that lawyer to help kind of motivate them to dip their toe in the podcasting uh, waters? Well, first off, I will say that I don't think this is the tool that every single lawyer should be adopting. You know, you have to have the right personality and mindset about it. It is a long game. You need to build up a, a library of the content that, that uh, to you know, develop enough of a listenership and those kinds of things to, to make it relevant. But I think that if you are, and most lawyers are, outgoing, affable people, and I think it's a great way to convey that to the outside world. So my feeling is if you think that it might be right for you, just give it a try. I mean, the, the investment is really small to get started. You can spend a lot if you want to, but you don't have to. And you can, you know, take it out for a test drive and see if it makes sense. And worst case scenario, if you've got a couple of episodes, a couple of recordings out there that that uh, can be maybe repurposed for other things as well. And certainly in in law firms, I think that law firm marketing teams ought to be looking closely at podcasting as a tool that, that they can adopt. So you say you'd like just to give it a try. What would someone need to get started? Because it sounds like it could be, you know, a bit of an investment if you're yeah. just going to sort of try it and see. Well, you know, the initial investment, as I said, is very, very small. You need a microphone and a computer. You can spend as much as you like. I mean, you, you, the sky's the limit on spending on microphones and sound equipment. But there are perfectly serviceable, good-sounding microphones available for under $100, $60-$80 from you know, Amazon, the, the Samson Q2U and the Audio-Technica ATR2100. Um, the mics that you and I are both using are also still in that fairly um, low price range. Your, I think yours is in the neighborhood of 100 and mine's in the neighborhood of 250 and you know, plugs right into the computer and we can record on a Zoom call. We can record using free recording software. If you're on an Apple product, it comes with GarageBand. If you're on a PC or a Linux computer or anything else, you can use free tool called Audacity. Or you can spend a little bit of money on you know the Adobe Creative Suite product, which is called Audition. And the point is, all you need is something to record with. And once you've made that recording you may decide you want to do a little editing and cleaning things up and drop in a little music or something like that. Again, you can spend a lot of time on it or you can choose not to. And then you need a place to, to put it, a hosting provider. And there are lots of those out there that charge you know, in the neighborhood of 10 to $20 per month just to host your media files and make sure that they're easily distributed to all of the places where people get podcasts to listen to them. And then the real trick is uh, being consistent about publishing and marketing, getting the word out that the show is there and that it might be of interest to people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for lawyers, I wonder, I mean, you've worked with other lawyers who've uh, set up podcasts. Mm-hmm. What types of challenges have they experienced in terms of advertising? Because I can see that that would be a hurdle for a lot of lawyers thinking, well, you know, here, what would the law society say? And I think you're in California, mm-hmm. the Bar Association. Yeah. You know, are there particular rules that um, lawyers need to be aware of before starting up a podcast? Yeah, well, ev- I think every jurisdiction has its own rules about lawyer advertising. And what I'll say is, I don't think of my podcast as advertising. I think of my podcast as providing an information service. And just as I could sit down and write a blog about a particular topic of legal interest, I could turn it into a podcast. I could turn it into a video. Um, I can send out email marketing out. Now it starts to be a little closer to what is more traditional advertising. But again, if you're not targeting a person with a specific legal need, but instead you're shedding light on a particular issue in the law, or maybe you're doing a podcast that this is something we should talk about, a podcast that doesn't have anything to do with your area of legal practice, but just has something of appeal to people who might have need for your area of legal practice, then you're, it's not advertising at all. You're, you, you, the lawyer essentially become the sponsor of the show that is say about, I don't know, motorcycle tour. I always use motorcycle touring as an example, because, you know, let's say you're a lawyer who does motorcycle accident cases. Well, let's face it. Nobody is really interested in listening to a podcast where every week you talk about an accident case or, you know, principles of, of shared liability or, or uh, those kinds of things. But the people who are likely to ever need a motorcycle accident attorney are intensely interested in motorcycles and equipment and, and maybe travel and you know, vacationing with your motorcycle. So maybe you do a show about great places to visit with your motorcycle as a motorcycle touring thing or something like that. And then at the end of each episode, you say, today's episode of Motorcycle Touring Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of X, Y, and Z. And uh, if you haven't, you know, if you're ever in an accident, we're here to support you, something like that. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate advertising strategy, marketing strategy. And you're providing valuable information to people who will come to know, like, and trust you without ever meeting you. <laughs> and that's the big hurdle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just, you know, by virtue of you being in their ear mm-hmm. and them hearing your voice and talking with authority about that subject matter. And then you understand where they're coming from. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. And so you're talking about targeting clients or potential Mm -hmm. clients, but also I wonder if another market might be other lawyers. Sure. If you're in a practice area that, that depends on lots of referral business, and I think most of us do, being visible and in the ear of our referral partners and potential referral partners is the same thing. Now, I, I say that I made a mistake when I launched Entertainment Law Update because it is a very sort of high-level legal discussion about the law. And there's a very limited number of people who really care enough about entertainment law that they're going to listen into something. I, I, I liken it to reading the advance sheets. You know, We have a, a relatively limited uh, pool of people who are interested enough to go seek out this information every week or month. And so we've penetrated that audience. And what we're doing with our show is actually educating our competition. <laughs> so that isn't the best thing. But as, I, as I've learned, it was great for the referral business because, hey, not everybody in every jurisdiction can handle every case. So there's always that opportunity for referral. And when you have subspecialties or, or areas of focus, 
you know, you're more likely to, to get the referral from someone who knows and sort of, again, knows, likes, and trusts you because they heard you talking about these things a lot. So I think it's a great tool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, it shows that there are so many legal podcasts out there now. Yeah. And I, and I want too for someone who's thinking about starting out, you know, how to distinguish their podcast from all the other ones. Well, that's really the trick. And I don't know that I have any great answers. I and mean, this is a classic marketing question. And I think the law firm marketing experts have, can weigh in on this and, and, uh, uh, and and bring a lot of good advice to the to the occasion. But you know, the, one of the nice things about podcasts, as I said earlier, is you can use a transcript. And if you're talking about the kinds of topics that your potential client base search for, that transcript will be searchable. If you use it in this way, it'll be searchable on the web. And when they type in that combination of keywords, it's going to show up. Uh, Google and the other search engines love media content, and they love being able to to show people stuff that's right on point. And so that's, that's the trick. Mm -hmm. So a big challenge then is really getting sort of that narrow focus on who your audience, uh, Mm -hmm. who, who you really want your audience to be. You know, the other side of it is your existing client base. When you start publishing a newsletter or a, or, or a podcast or anything, that's your first targeted audience, right? Because they, you want them to know that you're, still thinking about them even when their case is over or that you're thinking about other ways that you can serve them or whatever. And again, it reinforces because they're also a great source of referrals. So you're never without some place to market your show. It's just a matter of being thoughtful and creative about it. Yeah. And other like other important things to think about, we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, equipment, but I imagine I'm just being a podcast listener and a podcast host, you know, that I believe that audio quality is absolutely key. But I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. I agree. I mean, I think people don't want to listen to something if it's uncomfortable to listen to. But I think content first, sound quality second, you know, and everything else can can come later. Um, but you know, investing in one of these microphones like we've talked about and and finding a relatively quiet environment in which to record is is really the the essence of it and i would say that in most law firms there's a conference room or a file room somewhere that could be easily converted into a recording space uh, or or just your office you know it's easy enough to set this stuff up and record an episode every week or whatever the main thing about sound quality is having a decent microphone not using the one that's built into your computer wearing headphones while you record or or earphones or something and um yeah, having a quiet environment so you're not distracted by dogs barking and lawns being mowed. And <laughs> <laughs> that's my curse is that every time I set a recording date, one of the neighbor's lawnmower starts up. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had that. And I also had, had uh, leaf blowers. Like, oh mm-hmm. my goodness, those things are so loud. But then I guess the other beauty of this medium is that you can always stop and then edit it out and you know start again when it's quieter yeah. in most cases mm-hmm. um yeah which takes me to another point about post-production you sort of mentioned buying the or running it yourself but yeah. i know for me that's just not on the table there's no oh, way that right. i could do that so what are your thoughts on that doing yourself versus yeah. hiring an editing company i think it makes perfect sense especially for lawyers I and mean, you know, we shouldn't be doing 10 or $20 an hour jobs when we are lawyers who are 
in the hundreds of dollars of hour uh, per hour compensation structure, we should be delegating the things that don't need us. So the only thing that really needs me as the lawyer hosting my show is me talking into the microphone. I could even outsource the preparation of an outline and notes to someone more junior or whatever. I, I personally think it's easy and fast and I'm familiar with it. So I do it myself. But certainly if I, if I had a big editing job that needed to be done, you know, my, if my episodes were done that way, I would offload it to, uh, I have a virtual assistant in the Philippines who I pay. It's a shockingly low, you know, $70 a week and for full-time work. Wow. And she's perfectly capable of editing a podcast together and publishing it once I hand it off to her. In fact, she's the one who does the show notes for our show. She you know, makes sure that we have the right graphics and uh, that everything is in line. Once I finish that recording, I upload the file to her and she takes it from there. So there's no reason she couldn't do the editing as well. And there are lots of you know, gun-for-hire podcast producers and, and post-production companies available as well that, that do this. It's all they do and they're really good at it. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's like really reassuring because I know certainly for me that was a big barrier mm-hmm. was oh no there's no way I'm ever it doesn't matter how easy it seems um, to uh, to people who are more uh, familiar with the technology there's no way I could ever do it so I do think it's a good idea for podcasters to try it once so or you know get get the hang of what it is to do editing because it will make it easier on their editor if they're if they have that in their mind as they're creating content. But yeah, once you've sort of learned the ropes, yeah, delegate everything you can. Yeah. And I think that's also helpful for those who are a bit reluctant to start out because it does seem a bit overwhelming. How do you go from general idea to publishing uh, mm-hmm. an episode? So knowing that there's so much help out there uh, yeah. and, well, courses like yours <laughs> to help lawyers who... Mm-hmm. Yeah, are wondering if they should try it, yeah. even as you say, just one or two and see how it goes. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your um, your course and, um, you know, what might be available out there for lawyers who are, are thinking about getting started in podcasting? Well, I'll start by inviting listeners, if, if you're interested in looking into what it takes to get started with a, with a podcast, a law podcast. I'm, I have a little free guide that I've put together. If you visit lawpodcasting.com forward slash guide, that will take you to a sign up page where you can receive my law podcaster. Am I that easy for me to say? <laughs> my law podcaster's ultimate quick start guide talks you through the equipment and software and tools you need to get started and really how quickly it, it can be done. And then the course is called Power Podcasting for Lawyers. And it's available at lawpodcasting.com. Lots of information there about what that involves and how to get started. We walk you through the choosing a title, choosing a topic for your show, what to talk about, how to hook up your microphone and start recording. We do talk about how how the editing works. Again, very basic level because we expect you're going to delegate this as much as possible. So. Yeah, yeah. And that's such a good point. One thing we didn't even talk about is coming up with a name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, again, there's so many out there and you want it to be searchable and you want to stand out, but also to be representative of what the subject matter is yeah. of the podcast. So one other question is just in terms of format, or I guess maybe it's just style. Sure. 
all the different types of podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm. There's sort of interview based like this one. There are others where it's just sort yeah. of a, one person talking. Then there's the, you know, curating content and bringing different pieces together. Like we hear um, with more professional podcasts like Pushkin Industries and Adam Grant's podcast, ones like that. Any thoughts on sort of how to choose? I think you do whatever sort of feels best and most comfortable for you. And some are easier than others. Frankly, it's always, it's, I think it's much easier to interview uh, a guest. And that also is nice because it, it uh, creates a uh, expertise by osmosis kind of a, <laughs> a, a situation. Um, and also, by the way, I'm going to come back to this, but guests can be a great source of new business as well. So I'll tell you about that in a second. But you know, some, as I said, some shows are just easier formats to adopt. If you've got, if you're doing a curation thing, well, then you're spending a lot of time out there looking for what you're going to curate and how to plug it in and writing the interstitial material that transitions from one to the next. And then you've got to give your post production team really explicit instructions on exactly what to do. So it's a bigger, a bigger morsel to chew, I guess you could say. Um, my show is me and a guest. I mean, not a guest, me and a co host. And we work from a shared outline. We just have a Google document that we're reading from as we go. And um, we just sort of bounce off each other. You know, she'll take the first story and I'll read the second one. And and then we'll have, you know, a little conversation about what we thought about it or why that is relevant. And we just help each other out so that it's a pretty dynamic, comfortable conversation. And again, because we're live to drive, when we're done recording, we're done recording and producing the show. So, you know, different formats for different folks. I also do uh, shows where I'm the only host and it's just me talking, work from an outline, you know, fire, ready, fire, aim, as they say sometimes. (laughs) Uh, And uh, again, practice makes perfect. You just have to get started. Yeah. Yeah. And preparation, again, like you were saying at the outset, that that is really key. Mm -hmm. And then also to try to sound natural as opposed to scripted. Uh, and again, I imagine you'd say the same thing. Everybody has their own style, just as, yeah. you know, lawyers do when they're arguing, um, mm-hmm. a case in court. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And one of the nice things about podcasting that, I, that is different from the way lawyers market in other arenas is that I think you can be more yourself, less formal, less legalistic in the way you speak when you're talking than you would if you were writing. If you're writing an article, even if it's just a short form blog post, we tend to use the big words in the sentence construction that we're used to, you know, we learned in school, basically, how to write legal. (laughs) If I imagine that I'm just having a conversation with one person sitting across the table from me or over a cup of coffee, it's a very comfortable, dynamic, inviting format. Yeah, I mean, for for you, the guests, and whoever else um, you're working with, but also for the listeners, Mm -hmm. much more enjoyable. And you feel like you're part of the conversation, even though uh, you're not physically there. But you said you also wanted to um, mention about how guests can be... Yeah. So I I started a show not long after I started Entertainment Law Update. I didn't keep it going. Every time I look back, I think, God, I really should have. Because what I did is I created a show where I was going to interview other experts uh, in various fields and and uh, people with insights and thoughts about the entertainment industry. Entertainment industry is my target marketplace. And so filmmakers, producers, directors, writers, actors, you name it. And I started out, I would interview these people and um, 
just invite someone onto the show as a guest. And people love to be invited to speak as a guest, as the expert or whatever. They love to talk about themselves and it's flattering. And so you don't need a pretext to pick up the phone and make that cold call to somebody that you've never encountered before that you you know if you were doing just traditional sales marketing kind of work you would pick up the phone and call and invite someone to lunch and then you'd have the you know a little bit of a presentation to give during the during the lunch meeting or whatever when you invite them to come on a, as a guest on your show you are building up that affinity and awareness you know in a non-threatening non-salesy kind of a way and i'll tell you that out of the first 10 episodes of that podcast that i created i got five of them, five of those guests became clients of mine at one level or another, and three others referred more than one client each. Wow. So 10 interviews, what is that? 16 clients, 15 and 16 uh, new new files to open. So that worked out pretty well. I should say, I should say, and if there's no other reason <laughs> than that to start a podcast, that's pretty impressive. I mean, um, your, your mileage will vary, of course, but uh, <laughs> you, you position yourself within your niche as an expert and as a thought leader, someone who's actually paying attention to what people are thinking and saying, and you give them the platform and there's a sense of um, reciprocity that comes into play. Absolutely. And then, like you say, you don't have you don't have that feeling that you're selling something, which mm-hmm. you know most lawyers that I've spoken with find that as a real barrier to doing any kind of marketing. They just abhor the idea of sounding salesy or looking like they're you know trying to get business from you. Yeah, I've uh, got a law firm, and I can also sell you this 1979 Dodge Dart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one thing that's just lingering uh, in my mind is the phrase, the podcast lawyer. Where did that come from? Why are you using it? Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, when I started my podcasting journey, I, being an entertainment media lawyer, I kind of knew the ropes already of what was going on in this space. And But I went looking and I realized there were no resources on the subject at the time. And, and even to this day, there's very few. So I sat down and I wrote an ebook called The Podcast Blog and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide, which is just sort of a, a very easy to digest primer on things like copyrights and trademarks and defamation and rights of privacy and all, you know, all the content creation legal stuff that needs to be considered when you're making media. Because after all, most podcasters don't have any background or training as a media creator. They're they're not journalism school graduates or film school graduates. So I wanted to provide that kind of information there. Well, in, you know, when you write a book, that's another great way to position yourself as an expert. So this ebook came out and I started sharing it with people in the podcasting community and speaking at conferences and those kinds of things. And that led to people hiring me to help them with their podcasts and their legal issues. Everything from entity formation to, you know, intellectual property protection and uh, negotiating deals and transactions and network deals and those kinds of things. So I became known as the podcast lawyer among the podcasting community. And somebody called me that one time and I said, oh, that's good. And I grabbed it and put a TM next to the name and, and I have now adopted it as a brand for myself. And um, it's very descriptive, so it's probably not immediately registrable. I think I'm getting to the point where I've been using it enough that it's recognizable and, and distinctive enough that I can secure a, a registered trademark with it. And uh, uh, I guess I better make a note about that. <laughs> but, you know, branding oneself, again, that may be one thing that you need to check your local 
ethics and advertising rules about whether you can brand yourself that way. Here in California, it seems to be allowed. And it's worked very nicely. It's a great way to have a you know website domain that people can remember easily and uh, makes it searchable and all that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, such great, uh, great tips. And I just love your story and how you got started and how you've been doing this for such a long time and constantly and continually evolving. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, other lawyers who are a little bit reluctant will start, uh, you know, thinking a little bit differently about starting a podcast, because I know for me, it's just been so much fun. And I'm not in sort of providing any sort of legal content. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, as you say, just met some great people. And yeah, I'm just doing because I love it at this point. Yeah. So before we uh, before we tie things up, I just wanted to get a sense from you of what is the most important thing you would like listeners to take away from our conversation? I think the, the, the most important takeaway from today I would like listeners to have is that it need not be fear, fear inducing. It need not be scary. Um, podcasting is actually pretty easy to do. When you get any equipment set up, you know, you, you spend a little time, you figure it out and, and then you know how to do it. And, um, it is really like having that comfortable conversation over coffee with a friend, the friend being your listener, but also your guest or your co-host or whatever. And I think it's a great way to get more content out quickly. Some of the big objections that people have to this is the time objection, of course. But I'll ask you, when you la- well, when we were going out to luncheons and things like that, we would go to a lunch and we'd leave the office, spend 30 minutes in the car driving or getting to where we're going. And then we'd spend an hour listening to the presentation. And then we'd schmooze and network for another half an hour and then drive back to the office. And by the time you're done, it's two and a half, three hours out of your day. That three hours would maybe make you connections with five new people if you were lucky and you pass out a few business cards. With a podcast, you can create, use that same three hours, make a podcast episode, turn it around and reach potentially hundreds or thousands of people with it. And again, build that know, like, and trust that affinity without having to stand there and schmooze and, and uh, eat the rubber chicken. One of the other objections that a lot of folks have is, I don't know what I would even talk about. How am I going to do an episode every week or every month or whatever? When you're doing a newsy kind of show like Entertainment Law Update, that becomes pretty easy because you're just following what's going on in the world. But the fact of it is, in our law practices, we get questions every single day. We have an email from a client who asks a simple question that isn't so specific to them that we could easily do 5, 10, 15, or 30 minutes just talking about, well, what is this comparative liability that I hear about? Well, there's one episode. If you go through the questions that you get in your email and on your phone calls in a week, I guarantee you've got 10 or 12 topics that you could talk about. Keep it short, keep it single topic, and uh, you'll have a great podcast. Great advice. Great advice, Gordon. So how can listeners learn more about you? What is the best place to connect with you? Well, gordonfiremark.com is sort of the the central hub for my online presence. You can find me on social media. My first initial last name, G Firemark, is is the most common handle I use. My law practice website is firemark.com. If you want to check out my show, it's entertainmentlawupdate.com. Just reach out. Fantastic. Well, Gordon, thank you so much for sharing such wonderful tips with us. And uh, as I hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you've inspired some um, some lawyers who are on the fence to at least record one podcast episode and see what happens. 
I would love that. And, and by the way, if you do start a show, tell me about it and I'll help spread the word. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks again, Gordon. Thank you, Shelly. It's been great being with you. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.